chapters in a whole week. I told you I was going to preach a really long time. That was a joke. But all seriousness aside, we are going to cover two chapters. That's my favorite phrase, all seriousness aside, because nobody catches it when you say it. All of chapter 29 in two sentences. Are you ready? We're going to cover chapter 9 really, 29 really quick. Chapter 29, basically, David, you know, he's been with the Philistines. He's been fighting with the Philistines. The, the king, Achish, said, you're going to be my personal bodyguard forever. He really trusts him. But David, like, sneaks off and wipes out this entire village that's an enemy of the Philistines and an enemy of Israel. And then he comes back and he gives King Achish some of the plunder. And he kills everybody. Everybody in the whole village. So there's nobody left to say what happened. It's going to be really important here in a minute. So David's doing that. He's building the trust of Achish. Remember King Saul went to go see the psychic lady and heard, Tomorrow you will be with me. That's what Samuel said from the dead. And uh, we're not going to hear about that. We're not going to hear about that today. We're back to David. So, you know, you're watching TV and it's with this person and then it jumps to this person, this scene, this scene. Well, now we're back to David. And all of the Philistine army. So before there were Philistine troops and there were Philistine uh, soldiers that would fight Israel. It says in chapter 29... All of the commanders of the Philistines came and mustered all their armies. So this is every town, everybody, like the complete arsenal of the Philistines is drawn up against Israel to fight Israel. And the way they lay it out, it's Israel, the whole line of all the army of the Philistines, and David and his 600 men. And there's a funny thing that the author does in here is he says, the Philistines lined up their commanders by the tens and by the thousands. And they word it a little funny. So as you're reading it and you're reading it in Hebrew, you might read it like they're lined up by their hundreds and their thousands. You think, why would you sing that? No additional charge for that old jingle there. So then the leaders of the Philistine armies, they say, whoa, whoa, king, you have David fighting behind you. All right. You picture the map. Israel, Philistines, David and his 600 men who's surrounded. They might have tens of thousands of men, but the Philistines are surrounded by David and his 600 marauders and the nation of Israel. And so the leaders of the Philistines say, you cannot take David into battle with us. We're not fighting with him. Because don't you remember, he's the one of which they sang that song. Saul killed his hundreds and David killed his ten thousands. And they repeat that song. And so they're lining up. And when the guy says they lined up by their hundreds and their thousands he is making an inside joke to you dear reader 
They're lining up just the way David kills them off. And so, of course, the kings of the Philistines are going to be like, no, 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 no. He is not fighting. Because what would make him such a hero in Israel, and they say this, is if he showed up with a whole bunch of heads of the Philistines as he marched back, as he marched through killing the Philistines back into Israel. Like, just think of what an entrance that would be. We, we miss David. He's been gone all along. How's he ever going to come back to us marching through a big old field of dead Philistines as he marches back into Israel? I mean, it's a scene. They say, don't do it. King Achish, he's like, yo, David, I really like you, but nobody else does. So you can't fight. Go back home. Chapter 29, ladies and gentlemen. So chapter 30, they go back. It's a three-day journey from where they are, stationed, about ready to invade Israel, all the way back up to Ziklag, where they've been. I, I want you to just... Something that's really good to do when you read the Scripture is just slow down and try to get everybody's emotions that's involved in this thing. What's involved in the story? Because King David, at one point, he is exiled from Israel. He is nowhere close to the throne room of God. He is away from the Ark of the Covenant, God's chosen people, the the people in, um, I was going to say Palestine. The Philistines are eating unclean meat. You know, there's pigs everywhere. Uh, It's just, it's not God's country. It's not God's people. And he's like, maybe I can find my place among the Philistines and I can just do what I do best, which is fight and war. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be king of Israel. I was anointed king of Israel as a kid. I don't know if this is ever going to end. And so he's going to fight with the king in this huge battle. And, you know, who knows? If the Philistines beat Israel and conquer all of Israel, and King Achish loves David, he might be like, you know what? I'm going to put you in charge of all of Israel. And I'm the king of the Philistines, and I'm going to rule Israel, but I need a a mini ruler. I need a micromanager in there. I mean, David might be thinking... He could be king of Israel that way. He has no, no idea, no hope of how long this is going to last. This is just like Moses. Moses, you know, his name is to be drawn up out of. Because he was drawn up out of the water. And he knows that this could also mean drawn up out of slavery and drawn up out of struggle. And then he gets banished to the wilderness to be a shepherd. And he did that for 40 years. For all he knew, he was going to do that for his whole life. And that was it. Like, God's chosen people and the miracles of God and the power of God. And he just had it every day as a shepherd for 40 years. Never knew that that would end. So here's David, three-day hike back to Ziklag. He had this conflict of, we're going to be fighting against Israel on the side of the Philistines. Maybe I can, how am I ever going to be king? Because I thought I was going to become, I mean, I love God. I believe everything he says, but gosh, this is just, this gets worse and worse. 
So they take three days back to Ziklag. When David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. Everybody's gone. He comes back, his 600 men come back to their village and it is just a big fire pit, a big burnt fire pit and there is no one there. There's not even corpses. There's not even, I mean, it's gone. Everything of any worth has been taken. If all the people are gone, that means they're, they've all been taken to be prisoners and slaves. So it's not... This sounds weird. He doesn't even have the, the, uh, the consolation of seeing his dead children and his dead wife. That He sees that they have been kidnapped and taken to be sold into slavery. To be used like cattle or like property. Ugh, terrible. They killed no one. They carried them all off when they went on their way. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Gosh. They just went. They had no idea what they were going to do, how they're going to fight against Israel, how they're going to fight against their own countrymen. They're rejected by the army that they think that they can work for. They come back for three days of traveling back and this. And they weep until they have no more strength to weep. David's two wives had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul each for his sons and daughters. So they weep until they have no more strength to weep, and then somebody is like, it's his fault. David did this. We should have never come to the land of the Philistines. Can't you just see exactly how this happens, right? All that energy of anger, it's not David's fault. It's not David's fault any more than it's any of these other... It's the Amalekites' fault, right? The Amalekites are the ones that came and took him. Every one of these guys is following David by his own will. But they got somebody to point the finger at, and they had somebody to hate. And they aimed at him, and they are talking about stoning him dead. Killing him. So not only is David grieving the loss of his wife, wives... And children. He's grieving another big hit at the hope of ever being king of Israel. He's dealing with that. And now all of his closest friends, everybody that he's been fighting with and with him wants to kill him. And then it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is a big deal because David... And God, in the same sentence, haven't been mentioned for about four chapters. David has been away. It doesn't say he's been sinning. It doesn't say he's been evil and wicked or unfaithful or anything. 
But he has been away from Israel and away from Yahweh for chapters and chapters. And he strengthened himself in God. David said to Abiathar, the priest. So this, I love the way they put all this. He strengthened himself in God. It says that, so that happened and that probably didn't look like anything at all. Somebody, this, this is good, when you want to judge somebody for what they're doing. <laughs> Dan. People can strengthen themselves and grow in the Lord without showing any outward appearance. They can repent and have remorse without any of their outward appearance looking different. But at some point, it's going to show. They're going to act on it. They're going to do something, right? James, faith without works is death. They're going to do something based on what happened inside of them. So we get that David strengthened himself in the Lord, but then we see how he did it. He called Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Can you imagine being in this crowd of all these strong men and they're all... (laughs) And they're weeping and you're like, we're going to kill David. He's going to get it. When David stood up and he shouts out, bring me the ephod. What hope that would bring? Because it's like, they're all asking God, why have you done this? Why did you bring this pain on me? And now David is like, okay, I'm not just going to vaguely ask God, why is this bad thing happening? I want the ephod of God in front of me right now. And I'm going to ask him. Send me the ephod. Abiathar brought the ephod to David. Isn't this so different? Every other guy in the camp is finding his solution in killing David. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to stone him. Weep, weep, weep. I'm going to kill somebody. David is strengthening himself in the Lord and he is calling on God. So remember the ephod was the way that they heard from God. Thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit. We can call on the Holy Spirit. Say, God, show me. Lead me. Give me your revelation. Give me a revelation of this situation right now to know what you're doing. What are you doing, God? Saul went and consulted a psychic. What do I do? David says, show me the ephod. And of course, he has the ephod, which is awesome. David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? Isn't that wild? He does not say, God, how could you let this happen? He says, God, what do you want me to do right now? What is my next step? What is the action I should take about this? This is such a good... I remember really, really, really long time ago, um, there were all these kids that would cruise up and down Green River Road. And I would see all these kids on Green River Road, and I was like, all of these kids need to hear about Jesus' love. I have no idea how we can tell all these kids that are in their cars driving up and down Green River Road about Jesus' love. And um, I just started, I learned this from a buddy of mine. I went to the spot, and I started walking up and down, asking God to bring His kingdom in that spot. Because that's what my buddy would go to places and pray. And I was like, okay, I'm going to see how that works. And after about three days 
Three evenings, three Friday nights of walking up and down and praying, God, bring your kingdom, bring your kingdom, bring your kingdom here. What do you want to do? How do you want to reach these people? What, what, you know, bless them. Somebody said we should wash their windows. We should get buckets and paper towels and Windex and wash their windows because they all care about their cars so much. And so we got a whole crew of people together and they all went out with Windex bottles and paper towels and buckets and we offered to wash kids' windows off. And they said, why are you doing that? And we said, because God loves you so much and He cares about you and He wants to spend time with you. And people would say things, well, I go to church, but I never heard that at church before. And we had like maybe 30 or 40 people that got to tell hundreds of kids about Jesus. So he prays, not, why would you let all these kids be out here causing trouble on Green River Road on a Friday night? No. What should I do? Should I pursue them? Is it even worth it? What I thought I was doing right by doing this. I thought I was doing the right. What should I do? God answered him, pursue. Pursue them. You will surely overtake them and you will rescue everybody. How do you like that? It just went from, God, how could you do this to us, of everybody else, to David saying, God, should I pursue them? And God saying, you are going to rescue everybody, even your puppy. You are going to get everything back. You will totally win. Can you imagine telling all those guys that, that are weeping? If they were all there and if they saw the ephod, however that worked... You know, if they're doing the Urim and the Thurim, should we pursue them, God? Yes. Will we get everything back? Yes. Everybody's okay. All I have to go do is beat up somebody. They don't know it's the Amalekites. Remember this? They don't know who did it. They just know everything's on fire and everybody's gone. So they pursue and they take off. 600 men. And 200 of the guys say, whoa, dude. We are exhausted. I got a bad knee. I just just marched three days from this place, and now you want me to go pursue? I can't do it. And so he said, that's okay. You guys stay behind. You clean up all these ashes and clean up all this stuff because God said we're going to recover everybody, and we are going to win. So you 200 guys can totally stay back here and take care of things, and we'll go get them. So he goes... On the way, in the middle of nowhere, there's a guy that's about to die. They come upon the guy and they say, Guy, what are you doing? He says, I'm about ready to die. So they give him water. They give him some figs. They give him some food. They get him back to health. And they say, what are you doing here? And he said, I was a slave of an Amalekite man. And we attacked the Negev and we attacked Ziklag and burned it to the ground and took all the people. And then I got sick, so I got dumped out here. And all the Amalekites went on without me. Remember how David killed everybody in the village so there was nobody around to tell a story? This is why. So this guy told the story. And they said, where are they now? And the guy said, I'll take you to them as long as you don't turn me over to them and I can be on your side. Which is good because they'd kill him, right? 
So they go. And they find, when he had taken them down, behold, they were spread abroad all over the land. They're eating and they're drinking and they're dancing. Not David and his men, the Amalekites. The Amalekites are having a feast and a party because they've just gotten rich off of the Negev and the Ziklag and all these other regions. And they're having a festival. And David and his men are looking at this. And, I mean, imagine the scene. They've stolen... 600 men's worth of wives and children. So they might be making the wives dance. They might be making the kids bring their food. They're treating them as slaves. They're doing slave, oppressor slave things. And they see this party going on. Again, with the emotion. We read this through, it goes so fast. But can you imagine... How happy David is to see his wives alive, but how upset he is to see the Amalekites treating them as slaves, as their servants, right? You know what happens. They attacked, verse 17, David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. It was a long fight, it was a long battle. Only 400 of the Amalekites escaped, and they were the ones that rode off on camels. Every other Amalekite was wiped out. And David and all of his men, remember, they didn't just, the Amalekites didn't just attack Ziklag, they also attacked these other cities too. And so David and his men wipe out all the Amalekites, they get all their stuff back, and they get all the stuff that the Amalekites had from these other cities. So they, they have more than they ever had before. They load it all up and they go back. This is great. At the, verse 20. David also captured all of the flocks and all of the herds and all the people drove the livestock before them. So there's even like livestock and cattle and herds that they didn't have before that they've now added. I mean, they're, they're richer than ever. And it said, they all said, this is David's spoil. Do you remember when they all blamed David for everything and they wanted to kill him? Well, praise God, they're blaming David now for their good fortune. (laughs) It never works that way, but it's working that way now. They're all calling it David's spoil. And they're like, they're rejoicing in God because God helped them with the ephod and, and direction, right? They come back to the 200 men that were too exhausted to go fight. And it says some dirt bags among David's crew said, we should not give these 200 men any of this treasure. Because they didn't fight with us. Oh, because they did not go with us, we'll not give them any of the spoil. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. David is immediately bringing everybody's attention to who really won the fight. Who rescued our wives and our sons and our daughters and our stuff? Who rescued us? Was it you, tough guy? No, it was God. God delivered all this stuff to us. And just like these guys stayed back at the camp, we got all the stuff for them. We're going to give it to them just like God protected everybody and won all this stuff for us and gave it to us. 
And it says that that became a rule from then on in Israel. This is a really awesome, generous thing that has to do with uh, the importance of community and unity among people and how we care about each other and, and our generosity and, and, and our pride, right? Is that there's fights that people can fight, but not all of us can do everything. We, we have to have somebody else do this help or that help. Um, yes. We... There, there, are, there are churches full of all kinds of people who are able to do all kinds of ministry and do all kinds of things and have no money. There are other churches that are full of money with a bunch of people that can't do anything. That, you know, they can't travel. You can't, you can't go to China, right? Uh, there are churches full of people that can speak Spanish. And we need that church full of people that can speak Spanish to go minister to all the Spanish-speaking people in Evansville. Because I can't do that. Right? We need, we need, and we all share in the winnings of that. And it says it was a statute in Israel from that day. But then David does one more thing that's just super awesome. Remember I said, David's wondering, how is he ever going to be king of Israel? How is he ever going to fulfill God's prophecy and, and, and his anointing in all of this business? There's this big line of Philistines lined up to attack Israel as all of this is going on. King Saul is talking to the psychic lady and hearing from uh, Samuel back from the dead, tomorrow you'll be with me. David looks at all of this loot that they won. He's like, hey, that's from Bethel. Hey, wait a minute. That's... It's like looking at it and being like, I saw, I saw that in a store in Newburgh. That goes to Boonville. Wait a minute. That's, that's a Wright's Panther sweater. That, that belongs out on the west side. David looks through all this stuff that they got from the Amalekites. And he recognizes where it's from. And he packages it all up and sends it back to those towns in Israel. So here's how it says. Uh, when David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, to the elders of Judah. The elders of Judah, that's on the other side of the Philistines in, in Israel. Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was to those in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negev, in Jatir, in Aror, in Sifmoth, in Eshtemo, in Rechol, in the cities of the Jeremilites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Horma, in Bashan, in Athach, in Hebron, all the places where David and his men had roamed. This is like a postcard with a $700 Starbucks card taped to the back. And he's like, hey, you might remember us when we came through. We're still doing great. We bought this with all the money that we got from your enemies. God bless. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So this is the, where it ends. We're, we're going to end with this too today. But think of this scene now. David, who's, gosh, he is supposed to be king of Israel. And what does a king do? It turns the hearts of the people back to God. It protects all the people from their enemies. It expands God's kingdom. What is King ooh, What is David in exile doing? He's expanding the territories of Israel. He's sending back all these $700 Starbucks cards 
to all these towns, and he's saying, this came from all the enemies of the Lord, and I'm returning it to you. Can you imagine those guys? They know all the Philistines are lined up to do battle and to destroy them, and they're like, hey, uh, county commissioner, we got a gift today from some David that passed through here a while back. Oh, is that kid still going? He... You know, he killed his ten thousands. Saul killed his hundreds. David killed his ten thousands. And they sing that song again. And then they open up. I've missed this letter jacket. You know, this belongs at the town square. They get all this stuff back. And so it's like David is saying, I'm still around. God is still fighting. God is still with you. I know you're surrounded by Philistines right now. But God is still with you. From the most unlikely of places. Alright. There are a lot of really good applicable things in this chapter this week. And um, don't even read the heading above chapter 31. Because then you'll know what happens. But you already know what happens because Samuel told us two weeks ago. And that's where we'll go next week. So, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that in every single way you are always with us. You are always carrying us around. And even when uh, a horrible, horrible thing happens, we can look to you and say, what should we do next? And you're like, here, do this. And you're always, you're always helping us along from one thing to another. Lord, we praise you that Jesus said in this world we will have trouble, but you give us your peace. And that is what we want, Jesus. We want the peace of Christ in our hearts as we walk through all these things. So bless us and direct us and show us ways to make this stuff real in our daily lives and to live it out. We praise you and we exalt you, Lord. Amen. So church, as you go, God bless you. The Lord is going ahead of you for every bad, awful thing that the world wants to throw at you. And he is always whispering to you to guide you along to whatever's next. God bless you.